If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. How are you, my friends? Thanks for tuning in. I've got Christopher Shade back on the show today. Had a great response to our first conversation, and based on the messages I was getting, it sounded like you wanted to hear more from him. And we really just scratched the surface that first time around. This one goes much deeper into the detox processes. This is episode 84 of the podcast. If you're a new listener, I want to welcome you to the show. Highway to Health is a place for you to explore and create your own blueprint for health. Having worked in integrative health for nearly 25 years, I'm acutely aware of how all aspects of our lives come to have an effect on our overall state of being. That's my hope that through the content and conversations you get here, you'll become more engaged and empowered personally and in your communities. I know how challenging it is to make time for self-care during the holiday season. You can stay tuned in and tuned up over at Highway to Health on Instagram, Facebook, and now on YouTube, where you can watch us having this chat if you'd like, or find more to explore in depth at highway2.health. Christopher Shade, my guest for today's show, is an internationally recognized expert, lecturer, and teacher on mercury detoxification and liposomal delivery systems. He's also the CEO and founder of Quicksilver Scientific, where he and his team are constantly working to redefine ways to improve our state of being. So the second conversation together uh, goes deeper into the mechanism and the organ systems involved with moving mercury and heavy metal buildup out of the body. If this is a newer topic for you, this first 20 minutes or so may introduce some terms that you may not be familiar with, but I think it's like learning a new language. And Chris does a nice job here of breaking down and explaining the physiological processes and the phases. And you know, some of this was new to me as well. And by my second time through, I really felt like I got it. And it's, it's already kind of increased my awareness of, of what I put into my body in general. And the last half of the conversation is really more application and understanding how to improve our immune function and metabolic processes in our daily lives. If you haven't listened to our first episode uh, together, you may want to go back and check out episode 77, where we discuss the importance of lifestyle and a healthy autonomic nervous system in recovery, detox, and immune challenges. Here he is again. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Christopher Shade. So, Chris, welcome back. It's great to see your face this time. Thank you. It is. Um, so last time we we kind of got in the weeds of the autonomics, but I thought it was an important conversation to have. It's, it sounds like it's not something that you've been having a lot uh, as as much as talking about the the actual mechanism of of the process of detoxification. But right. but that the thing that I really picked up on from hearing you speak before was that the that that autonomic system to to be working optimally. Is, is, is the important part of what really helps all the processes, if, especially if we're going to be starting to put stuff into the system or trying to move stuff through a system. 
The aerodynamics, you know, it's it's like putting barriers up to the on-ramps to the highway. You know, why isn't there anyone on the highway? Because yeah. oh, all the ramps are blocked. Uh, and, you know, if they're open, then we can speed up everything. We can work on on lubricating the wheels of the detoxification system. And yeah. if they're closed, doesn't matter what you do, you're just going to be pushing against a barrier. Yeah, yeah. So, so take us through what, what one of your specialties has been working on moving mercury through the system. But I have a few other questions that maybe you can answer and also just kind of talking about what to do in terms of lifestyle and just, and just boosting, boosting this, this function. So let's, let's start with, with mercury because that's, that, that's what you have a patent for w- with your products. And also you struggled with this, this as a problem as well for yourself. Yeah. Uh, so you want me to lead you through the process of detoxification? Yes. Yeah, all right. So we're going to look mechanistically. We're going to start inside a cell. What are the reactions that go on? How do you get from inside the cell to outside of the body? So yeah. it'll be this kind of relay race that we talk about, this baton handoff. So I like to frame uh, like the microcosm and the macrocosm of detoxification. The microcosm being cellular reactions that are pushing things out of the cell out into the periphery, that being the lymphatics uh, in the extracellular matrix to the lymph to the blood. And then filtration. So the larger macrocosmic side is filtration. And that's pulling from the blood into the liver, out of the liver, into the bile, and into the GI, or from the blood into the proximal tubules of the kidney and then into the urinary stream. So uh, now go back to the cell. So how does this whole work in the cell? So mercury is going to be in the cell. It's not going to be floating around as a free ion. It's going to be bound onto uh, a sulfhydryl or a selenium group on a protein or an enzyme there, or maybe a sulfur group on a membrane. And so it's stuck onto something there, and we have something in this cell called glutathione. Now, we're going to get the mercury off of the protein onto the glutathione. Now, to do that, you have to have enough glutathione. So we got some prerequisites. One is we've got enough glutathione. Now, does the mercury just jump off the protein onto the glutathione? No. You need something to pry in a little bit and change the electron distribution so it wants to grab on over onto uh, the glutathione. So yeah. uh, you have something called glutathione S-transferase. So the S-transferase is shifting that electron distribution and getting the mercury to bond to the glutathione. Now you're inside the cell, now you're a mercury glutathione conjugate. Now the significance of that is it's nice and water-soluble so it can freely move around. And it's got a charge and a structure that's recognizable by transmembrane transporters that push it out of the cell. Okay. These are called multi-drug resistance proteins. Now, people will talk about phases of detox, and there's phase one, phase two, phase three. In this, there's actually no phase one. Phase one is actually for, uh, for more of the fat-soluble toxins and things that aren't very reactive. Uh, and that's often called the cytochrome P450 system. And they'll make the, the chemical like a PCB reactive. Okay. Now, mercury is already reactive, so we pick up at phase two. Phase two is that conjugation, the linking of the glutathione onto the mercury. Phase three is the transport out of the cell. All right, so link it to glutathione, push it out of the cell. Link, push, link, push. That's the cellular level. Now we're in the blood. 
well, technically, we're in the extracellular matrix to the lymph to the blood. But yep. now we're moving through the blood. Now we got a filter. And phase three, now these transporters pick up there. And just as a side note, the, the transporters use ATP, cellular energy, mm -hmm. and magnesium to do the transport. So this is part of the need for magnesium and part of why it takes energy to detox. And this goes back to the autonomics too. Yeah. So yeah. autonomics are all prioritization. So if you're in fight or flight, your prioritization of use of your ATP is into fight or flight processes. And it is pushed away from these uh, processes of cleaning up and regenerating. These are luxury things that can happen when you're not about to be killed. All right. So uh, and that's also why you get a little bit more tired when you detox. Right. All right. So in our story, we're out in the blood. We're circulating about. Now, phase three is going to pick up at the liver. We're going to pull this conjugate, this mercury glutathione conjugate from the blood into the hepatocyte, the liver cell. And then it is going to be pushed out the other side of the liver cell into the bile canaliculus. So that is like the rootless rootlet of the bile tree. So bile is this green fluid that comes out of the liver. And we're used to this idea of this common bile duct and uh, the gallbladder storing bile and then releasing it in bolus doses when we eat. But the filling up of the gallbladder, the draining of this green fluid is happening all the time. Yeah. So if you looked up into the liver, you'd see it's like an upside down tree and it's like roots of the tree are the bile uh, the bile tree uh, or the bile roots going up into the hepatocyte and then they break into finer and finer rootlets and these fine rootlets are called the canaliculi. Okay. And every single cell in the liver is fed on one side by blood and drained on the other side by bile and that's the directionality. We talk about right directionality, that being pull from the mm -hmm. blood, dump into the bile dump into the bile. So what we're saying there is that the bile is the drainage mechanism for the liver. It is the drainage. So when we talk about the old naturopathic ideas of drainage remedies mm -hmm. for the kidneys, you have things that make you pee more, mm -hmm. diuretics. For the liver, you have cholagogues, things that make you secrete bile. So the transporters that move the toxin out of the hepatocyte into the bile also move bile. And there's two. One is the MRP2, multidrug resistance peptide 2. And the other is the BCEP, the bile salt export pump. So the MRP moves toxins and bile. The BCEP moves only bile. Those two are like twins. They upregulate and downregulate together. Okay. Meaning cholestasis or failure to move bile out of the liver cells is toxostasis. That's keeping toxins in. Yeah. So if we stop that process, and this is where the most common nexus of the breakdown of detox is right at that transition between the liver cell and the bile tree. So those are secreted all the time and the toxins are moving with the bile. They build up in the gallbladder and when you eat, they squeeze out. Right? So what are the things that block that flow of toxins and bile out of the liver? Well, inflammatory states do that. Okay. And so... Uh, inflammagens, especially endotoxin that we get from leaky gut, we get it from periodont periodontitis, we get it from jawbone infections, root canal infections, we get it from UTIs, you know, bladder infections. All these are sources of endotoxin, which are little parts of bacteria that wind up inflammation. So inflammation uh, is sort of like 
a cellular fight or flight says, oh, turn down all this stuff. Right, right. Also turns up when you turn up inflammation, you're going into a pro-oxidant mode because your immune system uses superoxide, hydrogen peroxide, peroxyl radicals, hypochlorous acid, all these pro-oxidants to fight invaders. And so when it does that, it down-regulates your antioxidant system and detoxification. We're talking about glutathione, your main antioxidant. Detoxes was within the antioxidant system. Okay. So inflammogens stop that. Just being in fight or flight, in sympathetic stops that. We don't, because again, this is digestion and detoxification linked by bioflow. Bile is for digestion. Mm -hmm. Bile is for, is the carrier of the detox stuff. So when you go into fight or flight, you don't want to eat. I got to run away from the goddamn lion here. I don't have time to stop and eat. That's luxury stuff when everything calms down. You know, you go get a massage, you get some acupuncture, you come out, you're like, I'm sleepy and hungry. Yeah. You're ready to nourish the body again. So fight or flight breaks that. So we're chronically in fight or flight. We're chronically breaking the detox cycle. Now, another thing that feeds into that is your hormone balance. Now, think more on women. Uh, Estrogen can block, it can create that cholestasis all on its own. That's why it happens a lot during pregnancy, the uh, cholestasis of pregnancy. Now, reflexively, what does the uh, estrogen do to the brain? Estrogen stimulates the glutamate receptors. That's the excitotoxin. Mm -hmm. So in the fight or flight versus rest digest, the sympathetic fight or flight is associated with the neurotransmitter glutamate, your primary excitatory neurotransmitter. Whereas... Uh, rest, digest, prepare, regenerate, detoxify. Parasympathetic is GABA, your main mm-hmm. inhibitory. Now, glutamate is good for being on it. It's good for having memory of what kills you and where food is. And so it's part of the survival mechanism. But estrogen hyperwinds that. And when that goes too much, you get anxiety. You can get some brain fog from the neuroinflammation there. And it puts you in fight or flight. And so what happens when you're estrogen dominant and progesterone weak, you're irritable and grumpy and you're in fight or flight. And then the opposite of that, you know, what's the thing that stimulates the hormone that stimulates the GABA receptors? It's progesterone. Now, if you taste these two, estrogen, you know, has a little bit of a taste, but progesterone is bitter as all get up. Mm. And bitter compounds are the things that open and flow uh, the liver. And so often, you know, this happens, the menopausal women get a lot of toxicity issues. I got a lot of mercury toxicity in menopause. So you're trying to harmonize all this thing, but you're always telling women, get on progesterone because it opens up and flows your liver and calms down your autonomics at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's to me, it's a beautiful thing to see this reflexivity between the brain and the liver mm-hmm. and how you work on these opposite poles. You either block or open it up, just like you block or open up your mind. So now we, we, we talk about things that are blocking. So we have to keep the inflammogens down. We have to keep uh, leaky gut taken care of. We need the hormone balance. We can use things like traditional bitters, uh, you know, like things like cocktail bitters. And uh, mm. this would be uh, gentian and myrrh and dandelion and cassia. All these things in your traditional bitters formulations help that flow going on. Hmm. Phosphatidylcholine also is one of the things. There's another transporter that moves phosphatidylcholine into the bioflow, keeps the bioflow liquid. So choline deprivation 
gives you cholestasis very quickly. This is why we like to supplement with phosphatidylcholine and we make all our delivery systems, these liposomes and nanoemulsions feature lots of phosphatidylcholine. And that's both because it builds membranes and uh, and membranes are crucial to all this. Maybe we can come back later to talk about membranes yeah. and also because it flows the bile. All right, so now we've done stuff uh, we've got toxins out of the cell into the blood. We get them through the liver into the GI. Now, what can go wrong at this point is you can reabsorb all that. So you dump it into the GI, and then the toxin reabsorbs. In the case of, uh, let's say, methylmercury from fish, you're going to conjugate that. To, well, first you eat methylmercury from fish. Now, mm-hmm. the quiz for you is the methylmercury in the muscle or the fat of the fish? I'm going to guess it's in the... I'm going to guess it's in the muscle. Ah, damn. Ah. (laughs) See, this is my cue where you you say fat. All the toxins are in the fat. And I go, wrong. But you got it right. Ah. Uh, So... Fats, it's really easy. Fat soluble toxins are in the fat. That's what I was so, trying to figure out, which, which which one it was soluble. Like, wait, which is it? And there is a the common misconception that uh, methylmercury is fat soluble, and it's really, okay. really not. Uh, it's bound. Remember, we said it bounds to, binds to sulfur groups. Yeah, yeah. The quintessential sulfur group on the proteins comes from cysteine. Okay. So there's this funny thing that when methylmercury binds to cysteine, it is a molecular mimic for methionine, another essential amino acid, right? And so when it's in the protein structure, it's a cysteine in the protein structure and the hydro has the methylmercury. That's why it's in the muscle. Then when you eat it and you hydrolyze this down to amino acids, the methylmercury sticks on the cysteine. It doesn't let go. So your body then thinks it's methionine and you get a 95% uptake efficiency across amino acid transporters into the blood also across amino acid transporters into the brain, across the placental barrier. In fact, that's why the baby's got 30% higher mercury level than the mother because you're pumping in so much protein. Okay. All right. So then you recognize the methylmercury, you conjugate glutathione to it, you put it down into the bile, and while it's going through that and getting into the GI, transpeptidases break the cysteine away from the glutathione because the cysteine is the sulfur on the glutathione that's finding things. So what you're left with in the GI tract is methylmercury cysteine. Same thing you absorb from the fish. Boom, comes right back in. Now, not every toxin does this, but methylmercury is like 90 to 95% reuptake efficiency. So that one's a hard one to drain down. Cadmium has a lot of reuptake. Mold toxins are notorious for reuptake. And then across the spread of the supertoxins, it varies. And, and, and when you say drain down, where, what, what is that, where, where is that going? Oh, from the, from the liver, through the bile tree, and into the upper small intestine. Okay, okay. So right where the bile dumps, you're dumping your bile and your toxins. Okay. So people will talk about toxic bile. Oh, I've got toxic bile. That just means there's a lot of toxins that keep recirculating. Gotcha. And the bile's built up with these things that you're just not draining. Yeah. So what happens is when it dumps into the GI, you want a binder there to grab it away from the bile. And uh, so there's different binders for different types of toxins. We have one that's a little 
high surface area silica gel with tons of these sulfhydryl groups like you find on the glutathione on it. And so when it comes down, this just gloms onto the mercury and drains it off. So then you're, sh you're, you're breaking or shunting that recirculation and bringing it down to fecal excretion. Now, for other toxins, maybe charcoal is better or clays or zeolites are better. There's something called chitazan, which uh, is not, uh, it's anallergic, but is derived from shellfish. All these are different kinds of binders, even just soluble fiber, insoluble fiber is, hmm. uh, is a binder. So we put a cocktail of binders together. We have something called ultra binder. Okay. has this cocktail of binders that grabs everything, all right, so that you get it all the way out. So to make all this work and speed it all up, you got to get your glutathione levels up. You need to hit some cellular triggers that upregulate the speed of the conjugation in the cell and upregulate the speed of the transporters kicking out of the cell, pulling into the liver and dumping into the bioflow. And so, you know, in our system, we give you a liposome. We do all this delivery technology. Mm -hmm. We do these lipid nanoparticles that absorb right across the oral mucosa, and you get high blood levels really quick. And so we have a liposome of glutathione to get more glutathione out to the cells. Then we have something aptly named liver sauce, <laughs> which... Uh, has a couple programs in it. It has traditional bitters to stimulate the bioflow. It has it's called an NRF2 upregulator, which hits all the gene sets for the phase two and the phase three to turn up the transcription of the genes there. That's lipoic acid. Uh, it has some inflammatory modulators that calm down mast cell activity so mm -hmm. you're not having allergic reactions to everything that you're moving because yeah. allergic reactions wind up inflammation block detoxification. Right. So we got mast cell stabilization, bioflow movement, NRF2 upregulation all together at once, glutathione coming in on the side. That gets you to kick things out of the blood, grab them through the liver, move them out. And this all, the absorption of these things all peaks in the blood between 20 and 30 minutes, really 15 and 30 minutes. So mobilizes all this stuff. And 30 minutes after you take it, you take your binder blend, your ultra binder, and you catch everything there. So it gets dumped into the GI, gets caught there, and goes all the way out. Okay. Now, on an autonomic level, when you're taking all that stuff to turn up detox, you're going to throw in an autonomic uh, balancer. So we, we typically use CBD or GABA hmm. or a blend of the two. Those okay. are the best things. Bringing CBD and GABA into our detox system just changed the scope of it. We would do it with a lot of autism, a lot of Lyme cases, mold cases. Anything you give them winds up inflammation. Right. And they're already hypersympathetic. Right. And you give them this, this you know, CBD and you just see everything just kind of settle down. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, and right behind it goes all the detox uh, stimulants and then everything flows out and then you bind it all up and you just had this short little episode of detox that's been softened uh, by the GABA and the CBD. And because it's so fast to dump out and then the binder picks everything up, you just tie the little bow on it and it doesn't perpetuate through the day. So you do that once a day, you do it twice a day, you do it three times, you can do different doses, but it's a very, uh, it's a very tied together and linked system that works real well. So how, how do people usually find out that they have a, a, a toxic mercury toxicity issue? Uh, and you know, is there is there a? I, I know that there are, there's testing that people do, but what, what are the what are the common symptomatic pieces that that start to 
you know, alert yeah, people. Yeah, no, I'm glad you put it in both ways. We can do testing, uh, which we do offer testing. We get away from the old challenge testing where you take a chelator and see what you pee out. Yeah. We just uh, measure blood, hair, and urine. We separate different forms of mercury, methyl and inorganic, get a disposition in the body, and and you know. But what you don't know is a level that's toxic for you might be good for me or vice versa. Mm -hmm. uh, and that resistance to it is a very dynamic thing. Even what's what you're fine with uh, one month, the next year, your system could be so down that it'll be really toxic for you. So knowing the symptomology is a really important thing to knowing whether this is a problem for you. Mm -hmm. uh, so dominant, you have neurological and physiological symptoms. The neurological ones are very characteristic. Anxiety is, is the major one of them yeah. because back to that glutamate thing. So the mercury is toxic to the glutamate receptors and makes the glutamate receptors hyperactive. Yeah. So even though the level of glutamate may not be high, the reactivity to it is really high. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, in neurotoxicity, you'll see lesions on the glutamate uh, receptors. Mm. And so it winds that up. It'll wind up a certain paranoia because of the anxiety being on all the time. Yeah. And uh, it's really, you know, when I first got into it, there was this really uh, interesting uh, reaction. Some people would come up to me and they'd be like, looking at me kind of furtively and then like, so I hear you know about mercury toxicity. And I'm like, yeah, I do. I think you're toxic. But I'm not going to say that yet. And they say, so I kind of think maybe sort of kind of I might have something. And I'd be like, fuck yeah, you do. I've, I've and, seen this uh, before. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then and then and they're like, so what do you think? And I'm like, yeah. And you ask them one or two questions and you're like, yeah, I think you really we should check into that with you because yeah. I'm. I'm thinking that this could be an issue, an issue for you. And then they look at you like, holy shit, what are you saying? And then they just bolt. They're yeah, like, yeah. how could you say that? I know. And I'm like, because it's obvious. <laughs> so they want to know, but they're paranoid and they don't trust you if you say yes. And they don't trust you if you say no and they run away. Yeah. Uh, so you said you've seen that one. I have seen it. Yeah. And and I've, I've done some work with, with, uh, with autism, with with uh, Lyme, and and you know most specifically, but then you know there's there's always you know and mold and there's there's always some other things going on and when and you know you never know whether there's also levels of other things. So I I didn't realize that paranoia was was a, a was part of that, but yeah. I, I've I've totally seen that exact th thing that you're yeah, talking it's, about. It's Part of that nexus, you know, and there's a there's sort of a weird genius that can come from it. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of our notables that were really mercury toxic would be uh, uh, Newton and uh, Mozart. Uh, mm. You know, they even measured them, you know, they like dug them up and, you know, measured them and they were really high. Uh, wow. Mozart, because they kept treating him for syphilis because he was kind of a whore. And Newton was an alchemist and they would distill mercury. And if he kept distilling mercury, it would turn, they would, they would bind it onto gold and distill it off. And they thought they were turning it into gold. So these yeah. guys would yeah. poison themselves, you know, and Paracelsus used to make fun of them all. They're like, don't mess with that stuff. There's like, he only had like one application for mercury. Yeah. Uh, but it's, uh, so you got these neurological aspects yep. and then the physical ones are mostly, you know, I, I call it 
it's too bad the term lead blanket is associated with lead, but it's just heaviness on yeah. the system. So it's tiredness, and that's happening at a mitochondrial level where uh, mercury is, is damaging, heavily damaging the antioxidant system in the mitochondria. The mitochondria have all these respiratory bursts, have very high prooxidant activity, yet they have to be kept incredibly reduced. They're more reduced than the cytoplasm is. And so they have to have a very elaborate, very robust antioxidant system in there. And mercury binds to the main enzymes in there, destroys them, okay. and you keep having to throw them out and make new ones. And so uh, you have damage to the mitochondria that way. There's a lot of, in fact, uh, any, I'm sorry, Mercury poisoning of the mitochondria lowers the density of the mitochondria in the cell, lowers the activity of the mitochondria. Most of that is catalyzed by lowering the NAD levels. Mm. And NAD is one of the key things for keeping the antioxidant system rebuilt. And so it's bringing down glutathione levels, thyroid oxygen levels, NAD levels. It's damaging the membranes. This is resulting in less and less uh, uh, mitochondria in there. And so there's all this cellular level of energy production down. Then at an organismic level, the thyroid, it's blocking T4 to T3 conversions. Yeah, yeah. Labs, you'll see uh, a mid to elevated T4 with a mid to decreased T3. So, you know, they're not in the same part of the reference range. And uh, mercury and cadmium and arsenic are the most notables for that. And so you're not able to generate energy at that thyroid level, which is really dictating how fast your metabolism's running. And then at a kidney slash adrenal level, you get a lot of buildup of mercury in the kidneys. And there's this, you know, there's always uh, adrenal depletion in these people, uh, along with inflammation in the liver. So the buildups, the biggest buildups are kidney and liver. And so the liver gets over inflamed and overtaxed, and a lot of this mercury gets dumped in there. It's affecting the antioxidant system there. It's blocking detox in there while it's doing similar in the kidney. So in Chinese medicine, you'd have deficient kidney excess liver, yeah. you know, wasted yeah. out, but really irritable, you know, irritable, prone to anger and stuff, which goes back to the brain and the neurotransmission uh, bias over to the glutamate side, which is your more explosive side. Back to the thyroid. So I, I, because I treat babies, um, and work with a lot of pregnant women. Is is there a piece of of that that you think is related to why women have so many problems uh, post pregnancy with thyroid? Is 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 there is is, is there any re- relationship? Could could we identify that there could be something going on toxicity wise that triggers some sort of thyroid problem? Yeah, I bet you could. Uh, especially so depending upon maybe it's related to what their dietary inputs on there. Right. So you're going to be cranking over a ton of food, right? Right. And now you're going to be eating for two. You're just, you know, and and the same thing happens to the bodybuilders and stuff. They're cranking over tons of protein. Protein, you know, what's the toxin in there? And, you know, certain ones uh, will have a lot of mercury. So if they're eating a lot of fish during pregnancy, they're going to have a big buildup of mercury. And a lot of that's going to go into the thyroid. And then the baby comes out and all that growth hormone and all that stimulatory stuff goes away. And boom, you're left putting out milk and you're left with this huge... Uh, this huge load in the yeah. thyroid. Yeah. Other foods are very arsenic rich. Other foods are cadmium rich. Yeah. Uh, waters can be lead rich. And so, and then there's all the other toxins. So just that high throughput of food. So it makes it even more important to have a very clean 
food source. You got to be eating organic, but organic fish, you know, just <laughs> no, the inputs aren't regulated there. Right. So there it's the size of the fish. And so this is the thing that people miss. They're like, oh, I can't eat fish, but I have to eat fish. And so they throw it up. They're like, oh, I can't even think about it. There is a thousandfold difference in mercury levels from the bottom of the food chain to the top of the food chain. Mm. So if you're eating anchovies and anchovies, oh, well, uh, let's say sardines, they're, they're not as polarizing. Uh, sardines have tons of natural vitamin D, natural vitamin A, tons of nucleic acids. They got the minerals. You're eating the little bones. They got, they got the skin, like everything's going on in mm-hmm. the sardine. Uh, and, you know, in uh, parts per billion, uh, they might have, you know, one to 10 parts per billion mercury. Now, take yourself up to the top of the food chain. Let's look at a swordfish. Uh, now, there'll be one to 10 parts per million, which is a thousand fold higher. So that's one to 10,000 parts per billion. So, you know, you have this one to 10,000 fold difference between these fish you can eat down here and the fish up here. And then you've got everything in between. And there's a lot of FDA lists. I really like wild salmon. You keep the smaller ones, the sockeye, coho, pink, Uh, you know, keep king for more, you know, intermittent use, that's higher. And then as you get to tuna, just don't eat much tuna. And the big tuna, the big, really good sushi tuna, that's really high. And then the small, you know, skipjack and chunk light, uh, they're, they're, they're lower mercury. So you can make rational decisions mm-hmm. on what your total load of mercury going in is. Oh, that's interesting. I never, I never thought. So, so for somebody who is eating fish, what, is is there a, is there a limit? You know, sort of per week that people should be consuming, even if they're eating lower well, on the food it, chain. It depends. You know, I mean, I I measured mercury on a guy who eats uh, sardines, anchovies, and kippers. You know, a little bit of that every day. And yeah. He had like, super super low mercury. Right. So it depends where you eat. So the, so the food chain. Yeah. No more than two servings of fish. Well, one serving of swordfish is enough for a month and a half, you know, and one serving of, you know, a real small fish is doing nothing to you. Gotcha. So you have to look at, you know, because, and, and it's it's more important for these people who are really like, uh, I can't eat the, you know, the hoof. Uh, like Tony Robbins, who was the most famous case that I helped. And he went from being a vegan to doing a paleo thing. Now, mm-hmm. you're a vegan, you're going to paleo, you can't eat animal. You know, you just can't wrap your head around that. Mm-hmm. You can't eat of the hoof, but you can eat of the fin because that's, you know, barely an animal. Uh, and and so he started eating fish, just tons of it all day. But all he ate, and he thought he'd get it in from a nice spiritual clean place like Hawaii. And I don't want it from like close to the ocean because heavy metals all sink because yeah. they're heavy, right? Yeah. And so this was somebody's thinking around him, you know, maybe his trainer or something. And so he was flying in tuna and swordfish from Hawaii. And Hawaii is like one of the highest mercury places on the planet. Is that right? <laughs> Yeah, it's just the volcanic activity and all, everything coming off of China rains down there and, and you get yeah. a lot of mercury. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so he was just eating salad and fish, salad and fish all day long. He had one of the highest levels I ever measured. So the guy who was eating kippers every day and anchovies and sardines, his level was like 1.5 parts per billion in his blood. Yeah. Tony Robbins was 125. Wow. So he was a hundred times higher than this guy by eating fish. That's you know, hundred to a thousand times higher in mercury. 
So what, what other sources of mercury are, I mean, where, where else is this coming from in the environment? Dental amalgams Dental, is yeah. the other big one. And it's almost, you can, you can get a higher load of mercury from, uh, from the fish, but the amalgams are really insidious because they're in there all the time. They have a form that there's a vapor coming out of it. Like, you know, you play with mercury back in the old days, these little silver balls that yep. float around. Yep. The only metal that's got a, a liquid phase at room temperature and pressure. So that means there's also a vapor phase not far behind it. Right. So there's vapor of that coming off all the time. Yeah. So even though they get it hard by mixing it with silver in the teeth, there's still vapor coming off of it, especially when you chew. When you drink hot liquids, more comes off. And, uh, and this is being inhaled and going right into the blood through your lungs. And while it's still this vapor form, before it oxidizes to a salt form, it can go right across, across the blood-brain barrier. Then when it oxidizes in there, it really sticks in there. So when I'm measuring your blood levels, I don't know how much is in your brain. Gotcha. It's just decoupled. The blood, the methylmercury, the blood is representative of the brain because it goes in and out. But inorganic, it goes in as one form, changes to another form, and takes a long time to come out. Okay. Now, at the same time, uh, there's also, it's rusting in your mouth. It's corroding, and you're swallowing that. Now, when you swallow that, it's not that you absorb that and it goes into your blood. It's more that that is a corrosive, uh, a, a corrosive and uh, pro-inflammatory salt that's going through your GI tract. And it's coating your whole GI tract. And it's, it's inhibiting the movement of more mercury from your liver down into the GI. It seems to, we haven't worked out the mechanism, but it seems to have a sensor switch that is saying, no, you've moved too much mercury down here already. You got to kind of hold up on that. Because yeah. once we get those out of the mouth and clear the GI tract, boom, all this mercury just starts flowing out. Uh, so you have one form that's going in through your lungs and polluting you, and then another form that's that's dripping down your mouth and blocking your detox system. So that one's really uh, bad chronically and long term. And then when you throw on like a high load thing like like the fish, then it's working into that same broken system. Yeah. Are there, are there any other toxins that you're that you're really concerned about right now? We we touched on this a little bit last time, but I I just watched the uh, I don't know if you've seen the Devil We Know documentary about no. about Dupont and the Teflon. Oh, they are bad, man. Fluorinated stuff is. It's bad. on Netflix, but uh, yeah, I mean they that, that's the, the, they're talking about all the all the fluorinated stuff. They call it C eight or PFOA. Yeah. Um, for fluorinated octanoic acid, and and now uh, now they're they've, they're creating their own that's called Gen X as 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 if the as if we didn't get enough crap, <laughs> like as, a as generation a gen- <laughs> of fluorinated people. So all yeah. the halogens produce terrible compounds. So you have like you have all these like you have oil and then you put light to it and it burns, right? So they wanted to make all this stuff that didn't burn, right? And so they take all the electron density away from it, and they do that by halogenating it. And right. so the first things were the chlorinated things, like uh, PCBs, uh, mm-hmm. polychlorinated biphenols. And those were to be lubricants like oil that would be in high-temperature areas and not catch on fire. And they were like, okay, these things work great. Well, because they don't catch on fire, nothing can actually break them down. So you don't have any microbes that can break them down. You have an right. oil spill, 
the microbes will eat the damn thing eventually, yeah. you know. I mean, yeah, you've laid waste to a lot of stuff, but eventually it'll all be consumed. It's just organic matter. But polyfluorinated stuff, like nothing knows how to eat it. <laughs> you know, maybe some extremophiles. And so this stuff lasts forever. And then it yeah. gets into the system and it sticks onto hormone receptors and it throws all that stuff out of whack. Uh, you know, Agent Orange was in that world. Yeah. Uh, key, all these things were, you know, better living through chemistry. Oops. Then flame retardants, they started brominating those. So the PDBEs, uh, uh, I forget the, the, or PBDEs, polybrominated diphenyl ethers. Mm -hmm. So they put those all over kids' clothing and kids' bedding because we didn't want the kid to burn up. Oops, we wrecked his whole hormone system. Right. Yay. And those things don't get a, go away. And those were all through the, you know, all these build up in the waterways where they're made. That's, the, that's what they were getting into. And they... Waterway, so you can dump everything into the water yep. like they do in China, like we used to do here. And then all along those waterways, what happens? You have collapse of populations. And what was because these are all endocrine disruptors. And yeah. what was happening? Yeah. The fish and the birds, they forgot who to have sex with. And so there was this whole you think transgender's an issue now? You should have been a frog back in the 70s and 80s. Mm. And the whole there was see this. You know, all this stuff happened a long time ago in the environment, and then we stopped all the, the dumping, and, you know, the populations came back. But there was this whole gender dysmorphia thing going on with with all these animals. And then we got the fluorinated stuff, yeah. and nothing sticks around like a fluorinated compound. Yeah. And so the Teflon compounds, the perfluorinated octanoic acids and all these other fluorinated things – those, they call them persistent organic pollutants. They're persistent because nothing can break them down. Fluorinated compounds, Teflon, remember, nothing sticks to it. Really hard to break down. So now it's in your body and you need an enzyme system to break into that and, and make it reactive so you can link a, a glutathione onto that and then move it out of the system. But the fluorinated ones are really hard to work on. And you know uh, one group of people that's notoriously injured – uh, by fluorine toxicity are anesthesiologists. Oh, is that right? So, anesthesia. So this whole drug thing, you know, I work on making all these super high bioavailability things. But, you know, a lot of them, they go, wow, I got, you know, 100 times increase in bioavailability. Boom, it's gone in an hour and a half. And it's like, oh, wow, how about that? And then you look at the, so the half-life of these compounds really fast. And then you look at the drugs, the half-life is really slow. And then you look at what these drugs are made out of, and they started halogenating the drugs so you couldn't break them down, so they'd last for a long time. Is that right? What do you think with all this polypharmacy toxicities? And so the anesthesias, you don't want anesthesia to wear off, right? So they fluorinated all the anesthesias. So the guys who administer them, they get ridiculously toxic. Uh, there's a guy named Matt Cook who's one of the more famous doctors in the regenerative, anti-aging, biohacker world. Yeah. And I first met him seven years ago, and he would look like a gray lizard. And he was an anesthesiologist. He wanted to get out of that. And he started doing all this detox to get rid of it. And it took him a couple of years to get all that stuff out. Like, Mercury, I can get you clean in a couple of months. Yeah. Fluorinated stuff, this is going to take a while. Uh, and now he looks fantastic, but yeah. he had to get over all that. So there are a lot of organic chemicals out there that are real big deal. A lot of people are really worried about Roundup. Uh, I know it's definitely bad, and it's a it's an excitotoxin. It's yeah. a glutamate activator. Uh, glyphosate, yeah, I, I 
it's not as bad to me uh, by leaps and bounds as these halogenated ones, yeah. but it's in much high, like molecule for molecule. It's right, nowhere right. Bad. But it's just all over the freaking yeah, place. Yeah. So the load of it is high, and thus it becomes a problem. And and is it a, is it a very different process then to try to get rid of that stuff? Yeah, I, I, it is a very different process. It's much easier to get rid of the the glyphosates. You know, you you do any of our detox system, you see your glyphosate levels go down. You know, yep. fast. You know, month, two months. So so does your company do both gun, working with heavy metals and with some of this, you know, these other things or the or the plastics yeah, and things that get in, caught in the body? We aren't doing the testing for all these other things, but yeah. it's all it's all the same. You, you, so in that phase two, that conjugation reaction, maybe you're not using glutathione for this other compound. You're using there's three main ones you use: glutathione, glucuronic mm-hmm. acid, and sulfate. Okay. There's a couple other ones you tack on, but those are the main ones. And so you've got glutathione as transferase for glutathione. You've got sulfotransferase for sulfate. And this is one of the targets of glyphosate is blocking that. Okay. And then you've got glucuronosyl transferase for uh, blending glucuronic acid. So uh, mold toxins tend to be more on the glucuronosyl transferase. Okay. But the big triggers to turn them all on are the same. Gotcha. Uh, okay. NRF2 is a big trigger to bring all those things up. Yeah, one trigger will be a little better at, you know, they don't really understand why this is better glutathione transferase upregulation. This is better glucuronosyl transferase upregulation. But it's not like you only take one of those and turn it on. It might be a little, you know, 30% higher on, on glutathione transferase. So any good detoxification will address all things. Now we might have to bring in some other adjuncts. If we're doing mold where you need more binders throughout the day, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we'll do this push-catch thing, the activate and catch and we'll do that twice a day, but we'll take some of the binder two other times a day because mold is notorious for this reuptake. So you need a lot of binder. You need to really be draining a lot of this bile and all the toxins out of it. So you look at different ways to modulate it, but it's not like this is a mercury detox and mercury alone. Right. Back when we were using chelators, it was that way. Right, right. But not in this way. And I came on the scene sort of as chelators were king and I was like, uh-uh, this is totally wrong, yeah. not totally wrong, yeah. but fix the underlying system. And uh, a lot of people use our system, and then if they want to throw a little DMPS or DMSA on top of that, they can do that. But on a broken system, that stuff's not going to fix you. Right, because you're, you're trying to give support to what's inhibited, right? Isn't that kind of a, yeah. the first the That's first step? building the whole thing up. I mean, some people it's load-dependent. I just took too much mercury. Gotcha. But most of the time, it's a con- chronic load, and a chronic, de, uh, you know, dysregulation or, uh, you know, a downregulation of the detox system. Those two coupled together. And when we bring up the detox system, you dump the load down and you can handle what's going on. And, you, uh, yeah, you're, you're going to want to diminish how much is coming in. But you can do it by just bringing up the activity of the detox system. Right. So, so kind of wrapping this back around to, to the autonomics again. <laughs> We're, yeah. we're, we're, we're really trying to, like, I mean, depending on what the load is for a person, then they may need to really focus on those kinds of things that are going to, uh, you know, influence, you know, their, 
you know, bring up their parasympathetics and also at the same time support whatever is inhibited in their system. And they, and they may need to have like, a, a, depending on if they have a high load, they may need to have periods of, of rest. I mean, I think, or, or like what we talked about last time, which is that, you know, movement sometimes people are so used to sort of exercising at this high intensity, but sometimes we need to do something parasympathetic in movement. Parasympathetic movement for sure. The movement is just essential to getting the lymphatics flowing. As the toxins come out, they tend to lock up the lymphatics because the body reacts to them. So you need to keep those going. You need to keep everything moving out, uh, but you need to keep in this calm space. And as we said last time, people are like, I'm going to work out. I'm going to do some power yoga, which makes you totally sympathetic. (laughs) And you're working against yourself. So I I often use the term parasympathetic sweating. You know, so maybe that's a sauna or it's exercise, but it's it's just brought with a mindfulness and a calmness as you do the the exercise, like a light jog, you know. Uh, I see this with my son is a type 1 diabetic. And uh, when he plays soccer, is you know so if you just exercise you just go run around the lake here his yeah. blood his blood sugar's high he just walks around the lake let alone run the the blood sugars come down he goes out and plays soccer and he's all they go up hmm. because you, you know you, it's a sympathetic activity yep. you know you're not you know you may be sweating but you're not engaging the rest of the thing so bring that all around don't Waste your money on the detox supplements unless you're committed to getting your brain in the right space for doing it yeah, that's, and creating that's a, a ritual around it, not doing a magic pill thing. And you bring those two together, it'll work like a charm. Like when we put people on on uh, cardiometabolic stuff, we have this stuff that puts you into ketosis. Well, also uh, intermittent fast and let those lifestyle things come together. So while you're already fasted, you know, 14 hours, you take this stuff, it really supercharges that activity altogether. We talk about detox. Now, while you've gotten yourself in a calm space, put the detox stuff in, get the, get your movement going while that's happening. You got this 30 minute period, you're gonna activate stuff, then you're gonna catch it and terminate it with the binder in that 30 minute period. Uh, saunas, the light exercise, the meditation, the foot baths, whatever you're going to do, put that in the middle so these lifestyle factors are supporting your detox factors. And really, intermittent fasting while you're doing that too is helping that a lot too because uh, this AMPK activation, that's what's activated when you when you exercise or when you carb fast or you're, you're doing keto, that plays into the detox picture as well. So you overlap these things, you commit to it, you get in the right headspace and you get so much more done. And, and are, is, is there something kind of intermittently that, that people could do with a detox program? Do, do you have any to, for, for yourself? Do you, is there anything you do? Uh, Oh yeah, uh, I mean, I weave all this stuff together all the time. Now, I like to the, a, a good construct for it is there's time for a formal detox and then there's intermittent detox. Mm-hmm. So, the formal detox we're gonna have you on for one to three months. You'll be doing five days on, two days off, or ten days on, four days off. Think, stimulate the drainage, relax, mm-hmm. stimulate it relax and you're going to go through these cycles and we're going to be taking layer after layer, different, you know, nests of things coming out. And then there's intermittent, you know, weekend warrior, really that push catch system, that's a little detox all on its own. You can do once 
And you can do that maybe, you know, a few times a week or on the weekend, maybe twice a day, two days in a row. You've done this intermittent detox. Uh, that could just plug in any time. And it used to be, it was really, we built up over a couple of days and then we calmed you down. But since we tied it all together, we coupled the cellular to the liver. We've got the autonomics controlled. We've got the binder. It's boom. You have a little one hour session of detox. Yeah. And so those are the two end members, a single cycle or a formal one. And then anything in between. Yeah. I, I like the way you, you sort of structure the formal ones, because I think there are times where we, and, and I, I feel like this when I'm working with clients, sometimes there's a, there's a tendency to sort of overdo in the beginning and not have those sort of like push pull that kind of, you know, work the system a little bit, let it figure, you know, let it find stasis again, push it again a little bit, let it find stasis. Cause you have to kind of, it's an intelligent system. I mean, that's, that's, I, I think we, we, we lose track of that part of things and don't trust the, you know, yeah. the, the brilliance of these systems that we have. But we, but it's almost kind of like they need to be exercised and and trained and and different things. No, it things. is. And and so, what do you? It's funny. I have uh, like a five time uh, national or international triathlete uh, as a client now, and she can't stand, you know, not giving back, and so she's making me exercise. She's putting me on this program, and so she's starting. She goes and the big mistake people make is to try to go too hard too quick. So I'm going to start slow, you know, a minute of running, minute of walking, minute of running, minute of walking, and then go up higher. And so what do we call that dosing? Titration of dosing. And so we have a level one, a level two, a level three. You can start at half a level one. So we're going to start you at low doses, start exercising that system, and then go to higher doses. Now that it's engaged, the genes are more readily accessible. The, The enzyme systems are used to going on, off, on, off. There's just whole way that you access this stuff uh, and you got to dig into genes you have to transcribe them you got to make a protein they got to be used to the whole mechanism used to has to be used to turning off uh, or turning on and then calming down and then coming back on and so as you exercise this you're moving up to higher and higher doses and then you can come down to a maintenance to run it for a while yeah yeah that's great well this is this is a lot for some people but i feel like this this is the groundwork of what I kind of want people to understand, you know. I I, I, I like the way we started last time, where we basically said, you know, as as little as possible <laughs> yeah. with, with all these things, and really thinking about how we balance our, you know, th- thinking about this from a lifestyle perspective first. And I, yeah. and I think that we should, you know, that should go hand in hand with a program like this. And that's one of the things that gets missed too often. And I I, I love that you preach that because. You know, in the in the product world, there's 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 way too many cults of personality and way too many people, you know, singing praises of things that really don't have very much testing. <laughs> no, no, they're like this one thing, this little pill, do it all, you're yeah. all good. Yeah, yeah, no, it's very program oriented. We started something after quarantine called the Quarantine Recovery Program, and it was a month of detox, a month of. Uh, detox mixed with metabolic activation and a month of mitochondrial support. Uh, And in reality, there was some of every one of that through it, but it was a relative ratio of the two that you went through. And we drip fed uh, videos for lifestyle support in, and now you might be feeling this and you should think about doing these things with your diet. And it was this whole support to bring them, like bring this whole system, you know, bring it into your lifestyle. 
And that was the first time we had done that. And we really want to do a lot more of these programs and, you know, lead people into how to live around this. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny that one of the, one of my first voiceover gigs that I almost got uh, was in, when I was living in New York, one of my clients that I'd worked with her for a long time, she, but she, always, she worked mostly in advertising in the pharmaceutical industry. So they were, they were starting this program to go alongside an RA medicine, a rheumatoid arthro- arthritis yeah. medicine. And they, because I was sort of part in the fitness world at the time, they wanted somebody who was, who was in that to do the voiceover for this thing. And, and it was yeah. basically a program of, of exercise, uh, you know, that would go along with the medication. And I was like, if, if they gave that to everybody with every medication, they would always do better. Why, why are they not doing this? <laughs> this is like 15 years ago, but. Uh, yeah, think about, you know, something, you know, like metformin, which is yeah. really a, a good medicine. It's a yeah. metabolic medicine. It's really a great thing. Think if they preached some intermittent fasting, some dietary control and exercise with that. It's like diabetes be done, you know? <laughs> I know, I know. Maybe that's the problem. Well, the, the, that's it, it's it, the answer is almost always simpler than than you know we like to make it out to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool, man. This was this was fun. I I, I enjoyed uh, getting getting to go deeper with you on all this stuff. And if if there's anything new that comes along the line, I'd love to have you back again. And I'll, sure. we'll we'll have your your info up for people who are who are you know, thinking they may be, you know, struggling with toxicity issues. Is, is there someone that you are a, a first step that you recommend? Do you, do you, cons, you know, talk to people about having certain kinds of tests done or going to functional medicine docs for this? Yeah. Functional medicine doctors are usually, are usually good for that. Uh, we specialize in the metal side of the testing. The functional medicine docs might get you some of the other uh, tests that are going on out there. Uh, testing can be a pricey thing, yeah. you know, so it's always kind of a tough thing. It's, you know, knowing what the demon in is, is, is good, but you know, there's a lot of toxins. You can't test them all. So right, sometimes right. you miss one, you might think it's all about this one. So testing is a double-edged sword. Uh, if you can afford it, always do it. If you can't, then you're thinking, you know, do I treat? And often it's good to just go in and, uh, treat with these detox systems and because they'll clear out a lot of metabolic toxins there, and there's a lot of AMPK activation, which is like uh, fasting mimetic, uh, exercise mimetic. And yeah. if you couple it with uh, getting on top of your diet and getting on top of some regular exercise and movement, you can really sometimes clear away a lot of junk and really start feeling a lot better. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great reminder. All right, Chris. Well, thank you so much. Great to see All you. Right. Thank you, Jeremy. Take care. We'll talk again. Okay, sounds good. Christopher Shade, folks. If you're new to these concepts or working on a detox challenge and just starting to learn, I suggest going back through this one again at some point. You'll be more familiar with the terms next time, and the concepts will start to fit into place. You can also learn more at his company's website, quicksilverscientific.com. I should also mention that Quicksilver is offering listeners of the show 15% off all products except for their multi-product line until January 31st, 2021, using the code HTH2020, that's HTH for Highway to Health, 2020. Let me know what you thought of this topic in conversation. You can get in touch with me anytime by email, jeremy at highway2.health. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. 
Be well, my friends. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.